Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everyone. This is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. So, a few things. One is, this should be the last podcast where I've got the earbuds. I did order a professional set of um, headphones, which uh, should be here um, on Thursday. Um, it was interesting. When I placed the order, it said, hey, thanks for subscribing to Amazon Prime. And I'm like, I did not subscribe to Amazon Prime, so... Um, you know, I had to go in and kind of undo that whole thing, but apparently I get the 30 day free thing, whatever. But for some reason, I don't know why I still took like the regular standard free shipping instead of the, the, the two day thing, but, um, no problem with that. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I will get rid of the, this. And of course I just use that with the microphone I have here. Uh, my studio mic, just to make sure that uh, the volume is as good as we record this. So, um, so yeah, I'll be wearing the Princess Leia look with the headphones um, the next time we do this this broadcast. But a few things. One is a um, an appreciation to Joe Bruze for last week participating in the podcast, um, doing the interview. We did that via Skype. And for those of you that follow the show, which is, it's a growing number, uh, definitely per the analytics, um, unless I have one fan out there, which is, you know, somebody who just decides to watch the show 24 hours a day. Uh, so, um, but I am very thankful uh, for the time with Joe last week. We did a Skype interview. So if you did watch this on the YouTube version, so I do post these on YouTube and then also, of course, on um, SoundCloud, which then gets worked over to the405media.com out of Los Angeles, where this show airs 1 o'clock daily Pacific time. 1 o'clock daily Pacific time. Uh, the Safety Doc Show. Uh, so this, yeah, this was the first week of the new of the new time. And definitely um, the analytics are re- revealing... Um, just uh, how much benefit that is to be in that in that time slot of being able to reach, especially the East Coast audience. Um, audience, I guess, as I'm speaking in my my kind of Brooklyn accent. If that's Brooklyn, I don't know, but uh, that'd be around you know three o'clock heading through the streets there. So, yeah, take this way through the Manhattan. It's a lot better. I don't know. So, um. But yeah, thanks for thanks for the time with Joe. The interview turned out really well. Uh, I used some new software I haven't used before um, to screen capture and some things that I've purchased, and and um, and it, it it just it turned out much better than what I what I anticipated because actually what was appearing on the screen was not what was actually recorded. It was recording. Um, so Joe was on the screen, but it was actually recording Joe plus like I was down in the corner and I, and I couldn't see myself. When we were doing the recording, so it's just kind of, kind of an added bonus, uh, and then go in and, and do a little bit of uh, editing on the audio side of that. But really, a tremendous interview, and I want to, 
um, just highlight Joe as an individual uh, to have him on the show. What a privilege that that was for me. Uh, this is a man who you know, was a school administrator, then went and started his own business, Sprigio, uh, for the uh, purpose of helping schools, helping students report bullying um, in an online format so that data could be aggregated, um, obtained by administrators, and and now, you know, he's, he's throughout half of the country, rapidly expanding. Uh, I keep in contact with Joe on a very regular basis, and <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it's all over. He's all over the country when I'm talking with him. And he is so passionate about he, what he does and the excitement of looking at that front-loading of student reporting systems. And we talked about the Westlake Conference, <clears throat> excuse me, which he held last week. And one of the things, too, is, you know, that was largely unstructured, um, which is much different than most conferences. So when he brought in his top educational leaders, he let them have that affinity process to to inform the agenda. And my takeaway from that, um, my takeaway from that is really the it boils down to do you embrace school connectedness more than you embrace endless contingency planning? Um, a little, it's like my hands are like super dry, like the humidity is almost like zero down here. So. Um, I'm down in the in the studio office, um, which I'll talk about in a second here. But but yeah, it, it comes down to that question, and people first go to contingency planning because um, you know what happens if this, what happens if this, and this and this and this and this. That's that's endless. That's endless. And then you also get brought into this whole thing of very um, very much into the mode of fortifications and and these high drama multi-agency drills where you have people coming in and pretending they're active shooters and throwing tennis balls at kids and and then having people barricade doors and stuff like that which i don't subscribe to that i mean i don't see that from an empirical research perspective of gaining benefit from that and you'll and you'll see things you'll see schools do this and then it'll be like you know we did this at our elementary so we'll be like okay you did that at your elementary, did you do it at your 4K sites, like your 12 or 15 4K sites around town, which are less hardened targets than your elementaries or middle school or high school? And, and the thing is, it, it, I feel very strongly, that's just not the way to go about things, but that's people buy into that. And um, I guess that's the reason why I have a book coming out. I have two books actually coming out. One is, well, I have many books coming out, but... Um, one exclusively is going to focus on the litigation that's related to these high drama drills, litigation from staff and also from students. Um, and I have been in contact with a major uh, newspaper um, reporter about that who has studied that and is sharing some of his resources. So, um, but yeah, I'm going through these lawsuits. And again, I'm an expert witness. It's It's just... It's just ridiculous, these schools. And then, and then television puts it on because they think, you know, this is what people want to see. And then the two reporters or three afterwards be like, oh, my goodness, look at what that school is doing. Like, how great that is. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like where Joe, you go back to this podcast 12 of the safety doc. Listen to what Joe 
talks about as far as like Westlake and this endless contingency planning and how people evolve from that to school connectedness as the number one practice for preventing school violence, which is statistically proven by the 2009 CDC report. And I also um, bring people back to, uh, I'm working with a mother um, from, uh, whose, whose child perished in the Sandy Hook massacre. She's going to be on my, on my show, on, on this show soon. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the thought that you can, can harden a target to the point where it's going to be, re, uh, resistive, um, and, and life-saving, you know, in the event of a school shooter. Well, a few things. One is the school shooter is going to take opportunity to, you know, whoever's in the hallway or whoever's proximal to the school. And if you look at a lot of school shootings, I mean, I've looked at yeah, probably, I would guess all of them. Um, and, you know, there are cases where fire alarms bolt, students run outside. So, you know, your, your hardened target of piling stuff behind a door doesn't make any sense in that case. But um, things are shifting, though, it, it, and people don't realize this. The age of the active shooter in schools is, is starting to diminish, and what you're getting now is the use of vehicles to plow into people on sidewalks or whatever, or it's going to be playgrounds or something. And people, start, I mean, I've read stuff, I get all these articles, you know, it's like, and, you know, whatever city police officers are preparing for drone attacks on schools, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's just, that technology already has been out there, like remote control airplanes and things like that. And that's much more complicated than what you would think. And I mean, people are not, are not going to go to the complicated level of doing something like that when you have a vehicle available to you, which becomes, you know, a 3,000 pound, um, you know, weapon. Uh, so, no, no, I, I think that's way overblown. And, um, you know, definitely, though, I will say, like, in, in the back, ISS 24-7, you know, is, is responding to um, stadiums and arenas, you know, large venue events, and, you know, what if somebody has a drone and stuff like that? Not necessarily, of course, that that's going to be causing violence, but it's just those are protected airspaces. Um, but uh, but it, you are seeing a trend right now, and, and that trend, and it's going to continue, is going to be using a vehicle uh, for the means of delivering um, lethality. So, but anyway, it, it's frustrating for me because... I, I look at some of these things that go on and some of these things in neighboring districts that are, you know, close by, you know, where I live and shaking my head. But I'm reminded, it's like Dave, you know, one of my, one of my cohorts, you know, was talking to me today, professional colleagues and said, you know, you've got a number of book contracts. You just got to get your books. You know, when your books come out there, focus, let your books do the talking for you. Um, and which I'm going to do. I'm not going to talk individually about any of these these specific you know situations um on on the show but uh but i think the books will will very clearly delineate out what the research says as far as school safety and um also what it says about these uh, what, what's really happening right now with these high drama drills and and the litigation that's coming out of that 
again, I've been expert witness. I haven't been expert an expert witness in that capacity, but um, I can tell you, it's it's those cases are are definitely um, increasing. So, but again, thanks to Joe. And uh, last week, I think uh, podcast twelve was phenomenal. If you have an opportunity to go back and listen to it, it will be forever archived here on SoundCloud and on the405media.com. Appreciation to John and the 405 Media. You can see in the background there, um, the 405 Media is the primary uh, outlet for this show and will continue to be. uh, It's just a phenomenal um, talk alternative outlet in John Grant and his team do a wonderful job of getting uh, just, uh, I think, innovative, outside-of-the-box thinking um, professionals uh, to come in and present, and you're not getting the media spin. I don't listen to the media. Hey, I don't tune into the radio. I mean, um, I I don't watch TV a lot, actually, but I mean, I don't watch the news, and I mean, once in a while, I'll listen to NPR, but what, I mean... NPR is basically, they repeat the same thing every 15 minutes, but um, but no, I mean, I'm not mainstream media. I, I get my information, I select it from podcasts, and I, I really love the lineup on the 405 Media, and it is only getting better, um, and I've learned so much. You know, I have a PhD from UW-Madison, a research PhD, which took me two years. I went in-depth, in-depth in researching health, uh, high stakes decision making in healthcare, um, in educational uh, settings, also in the military. And, and by the way, this is uh, 10 14 at night, so if I do seem a little groggy at times, it's just because of that. I got up at 5 15 this morning, but um, very passionate though about the show here. So, hey, nothing like that though. Love, love the show. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so that's that's kind of where we're at is is I encourage you, you know, to to look at what the 405 media has to offer and you can educate yourself about, you know, economics, about politics and just, you know, so many other so many other topics and and not have that influence of you know like I am not beholden to specific um sponsors. I I do have people that support the show ISS 24/7 Sprigio S-P-R-I-G-E-O dot com, the online leader in school bullying and safety reporting, which you see in back of you. Um, but I can I can tell you uh, things like they are. And I'm, I'm a social scientist. I read, um, you know, tons and, and tons of um, contemporary uh, research. I mean, stuff that, that's current. Um also, by chance, reading reading a book by Viktor Frankl, just about the reflection of uh, of self. Viktor Frankl was a doctor, um, also served um, as a prisoner at um, Auschwitz and Dau- uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where his second his second stay was, but um, talks about that in, in, in kind of the inner self. You know, I talk a lot about agency and purpose too, so I want to use some of his his work in a future podcast um but but yeah um this is where the media is folks this is this is this is the news this is what is real this is not being catered to millions and millions of people and if i say the wrong thing you know that my you know my sponsor of 
um, Casio calculators here, you know, tends to to drop me, you know, because I've said something wrong about the digits seven and eight. So, um, so no. But again, thanks to John Grant and the 405media.com. You can listen 1 p.m. Pacific time daily for the Safety Doc podcast. Just expect better things to come in the future. So thank you going out also to uh, Justin for tweaking the very last steps here of my computer. Came over on Wednesday night. I invested thousands of dollars into a new system, um, which is enabling me to do this. I also teach a number of college classes, I think six a year. Um, and and that was uh, definitely necessary because I do a lo- some of that distance um, learning and things like that. And uh, It's interesting, you know, what you see behind me is going to be changing up a little bit. I'm going to be, uh, I think, removing the Wisconsin Badgers, uh, although I'm a proud Wisconsin alumni, uh, UW-Madison. I'm going to be removing my Badgers sign and replacing it with a different um, image I have that was made by alternative school students um, in an alt school that I oversaw about 10 years ago. And it basically is kind of like an Andy Warhol. It shows me in four different colors, and and it's uh, it's really cool. So, but I need that to get professionally framed out um, before I before I put that back there. So, and tomorrow is the day this whole office gets put back together. I, it, it's not really so much an office anymore now as it is a studio. It was an office at one point, um, but yeah, the studio gets put back together. So that is an all-day venture, and I am looking. Um, Ahead of me right now, what you don't see, though, is the old safety dock has a few banners which are coming down here. One is the 1982 World Series Cardinals versus Brewers, uh, a few Milwaukee Bucks banners, and uh, Indiana Jones, and a couple things like that, which the safety dock has had up here since uh, 2002 and really need to go. So um, it's interesting. It's not visible. I do have a a frame. It's very nice. It's um, the front page of the St. Louis uh, Post-Dispatch after Mark McGuire hit a 70th home run. Um, and I got that from uh, two of my friends who have since uh, passed from cancer. So um, that definitely will always uh, stay in my office as a reminder of, of uh, those two great individuals and the impact that they had on on my life. So, um, but yeah, kind of uh, modernizing uh, I don't know if it's so much modernizing. Well, there is a, a definite step of modernizing the safety dock office down here, but also in making it more um, reflective of of where I'm at now in my life. Like a lot of my Packer posters from that I took, or Packer things that had me in the posters back when I was um, in Green Bay during uh, Super Bowl back in 1996. Uh, that stuff's been removed and it's just been kind of calm down here quite a bit so um but let's talk about this week so this this week i want to shift gears a little more and we can tell we're ready into a narrative we were really serious the last couple of weeks i mean two weeks ago i went right into three articles that i dissected um and you know and, and that's good i want to do that because we, I, I need to get in and, and take these these articles that are in the mainstream media and and take them and, and pull them apart um, and get get to an empirical foundation on that, um, and that helps you out, and it helps out uh, you know your families, and, and just I I think hopefully what you're getting from me is 
to question some of these 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 headlines, you know, which come out. You're already a sharp audience. I mean, hey, you're listening to this show. Not a lot. I shouldn't say not a lot, but if you're choosing to listen to a show focused on safety, you have a certain intellectual acumen, which is which is different than the typical uh, listener. So I, I really appreciate that. And I'm going to try to help you even more to um, dig, your, dig a little deeper, find the questions of, of what's really going on in, in some of these mainstream safety safety articles that hit out there. So, um, And then, of course, last week we had our interview with, with Joe, and we have some, some pretty substantial interviews coming up. A couple of weeks from now, we'll be interviewing um, here on the, on the Safety Doc Show. That'll be done uh, remotely, but then uh, you know, of course, it'll be part of the. It'll be a podcast. Uh, I am interviewing David Hyde, who is blind, been uh, blind uh, since birth, and uh, David is uh, going to talk about safety from the perspective of someone who is blind. I mean, it's fascinating the stories that he has shared with me. Plus, plus, he is a great storyteller. Um, you're going to really enjoy David. He's, he's a wonderful man, um, and I look forward to that interview. So we have that scheduled for uh, two weeks out, and um, then I'll, I'll be working also with, uh, we have an NFL fullback. Um, itchy nose is just right down here. Sorry about that, folks, but um, it is it's just like the humidity is like almost zero. Like, like the wood is just like crack, 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 crack. So, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know, but, uh, so yeah, so we do have an NFL fullback who's going to be on the, the show and talking about personal safety, um, for him once he became uh, high profile and, and again, just a number of people lined up. I've been, um, in communication with a mother, uh, from Sandy Hook, uh, her child did perish in the massacre there. And she is very much um, working closely with law enforcement. A number of agencies in promoting school safety has an agenda um, outline, which is very similar in a lot of aspects to mine, uh, as far as like uh, capitalizing on tabletop activities. And uh, and I want to have um, her talk about what she's doing right now. And, and then um, the one point that we will discuss is these kind of high drama theatrical simulations, which seem to just become it, becoming the norm um, and, and let you hear that from her. So I've been in steady communication um, with her and really am excited to have her on the, the show um, it's always, you know, I look at that and I'm like, boy, this is a person who, um, you know, has had the course of her life changed, you know, the, the, the vector because of, of the tragedy that, that happened. Um, and, um, the good that, that she has taken from that horrible event to, um, give to so many people. And she's very, very sensible in what she talks about as far as, as school safety, but uh, it's going to be a privilege to have her on. I'm not going to share her name right now. Um, if you go through the old safety doc you know, tweets on Twitter and stuff, you'll find out, you know, who I'm talking about. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's important. And I, you know, I want to get, I want to get back to our friends at ISS 24 seven who do security for the um, instant uh, site-based management for the NFL and a number of arenas and things like that, because we do have the NCAA Final Four be coming up 
before too long, you know, about a month. But then uh, after the Super Bowl, I want to get a hold of Scott Myers again and bring him on the show and have him talk about um, some of the safety management throughout um, the NFL playoffs and also throughout the the Super Bowl, just because those are going to be such, you know, such relevant events for a lot of us. Um, yes, Safety Doc, of course, from Wisconsin was cheering for the Green Bay Packers, uh, but really uh, hats off to Atlanta, and um, and they played a, a, a really good game. Funny, in a way, the Safety Doc had Matt Ryan as his fantasy quarterback a year ago when Matt Ryan was not as phenomenal as Matt Ryan was this year. So um, costing the Safety Doc a last place finish in his league after finishing first place the year before. So um, I want to talk today, though, about an incident that I encountered, um, a bike accident I was involved in, a serious bike accident. And I'm going to uh, hopefully thread this into a discussion then that I'm going to have next week specific to some of the work that I do as a county um, critical incident debriefer which has to do more with um, debriefing on psychological or potentials for psychological distress. But I want to talk about what I went through um, in this in this accident. So I'm I'm going to just kind of start the narrative. I've 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 written it out in front of me. um, And uh, so again, this is the this is the physical side. So it's kind of a two part thing, but this is the physical side. It's going to set the discussion for next week about psychological stress and uh, my revelations from serving as a county critical incident to briefer again. Uh, I might get a call from the sheriff's department, and um, and I have, I mean, I have in, in the past. This is what I do, and they would say, Dave, there was um, this this certain event happened. Uh, you know, this this traumatic event, which uh, we want you to participate. Uh, and, and there's usually a small team of uh, trained debriefers to meet with uh, fire, EMS, rescue, you know, whoever might be their dispatch and, and kind of go through this this event. Now, for confidentiality, I will never talk specifically about any events or even get anywhere close to kind of um, giving uh, some, some ballpark information about things like that because I... That would definitely cross a professional boundary, but I I can talk to you about the process um, of how that of how that works, and there's a definite connection to school systems in this. And schools do not do critical incident debriefing very well, if they do it at all. And I'm going to share personal experience I was involved in in a district. I'm not going to identify the district, but. Uh, where I think the district dropped the ball on critical incident debriefing, and I think it did have lasting effects on a number of staff. Um, so, but I like to bike. Hey, I'm a I'm a biker, motorcycle biker. No, I don't have a motorcycle jacket. I was at Harley Davidson, uh, the outlet place or the regular store, I guess, and uh, they tried to to convince me that this leather jacket looked awesome on me, which it did. Actually, it looked really cool. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't buy it because, you know, I, I don't own a, a motorcycle. So at some point, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I kind of have to own a motorcycle on the jacket, I guess, but, but yeah, I, 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 it was an awesome jacket and, uh, yeah, 
it looked really, really cool. So, um, but anyway, I, I bike as in pedal bike. And, uh, I traditionally, you know, now the last, you know, last two, three years, um, since, since kind of getting out of, out of the school administrative role, which, which, which for me was very consuming, um, didn't, didn't allow me the time to do this. Um, but I, I do like 75 miles in a day. Like I will plot that out. Like I'm going to do this, this trek. And I have different bike treks I do. And I typically do paved county roads, like rural roads. And I have different routes. Like here's my A route. Here's my O route. Here's my whatever route. And I'll let my wife know before I go. And, and you know, so I'm like, if I'm not back, like this is the route that I was on. But um, pretty, pretty straightforward kind of, you know, out and back route and loop around. It's um, and I do take the bike, um, some places too, but, uh, but yeah, have a really nice, uh, really nice bike that, um, I have to decide if I'm going to, to upgrade that this, this off season or not, but, uh, it's kind of like a pack mule. Like, you know, one of the things, like I asked, I was like, how many bags can I get on this, this thing? And, and it's not that I'm camping overnight somewhere, but it's like, I like to pack a lot of water and, and, you know, things like that and extra pump and, you know, whatever it would be. And I don't mind the weight because, you know, I figure the weight is adding strength to me. Like, that's what I want. I want to become stronger. I'm not out there to do 58 miles an hour, you know, down a hill. That's not my goal. Um, but it is, it's a very, you know, nice, and it is an upper end, you know, definitely is an upper end bike. Um, so. But anyway, here's what, here's what I do. I'm going to talk you through this, this day in, in, in August of 2016. So I typically start with, um, checking over my, you know, my bike and making sure I, I have a light on the front that flashes a white, a white light. And then on the back, I have two lights that, that flash. One is more strobing and one is just kind of flashing. And I do that because if one happened to conk out while I'm driving, I do have the, or, or biking, I do have the other one. Um, you know, for visibility and I wear like the, the, the bright, you know, neon biking shirt. And so I want the bike to be very, you know, visible. That's, that's, that's the first thing. You know, safety is, you know, very important. And then also, you know, I know myself, like I get up and, you know, how do I feel? And I stretch and I make sure I prehydrate the night before I'm drinking a lot of water and I pack a lot of water and, and things like that. And just, you know, how do I feel? Like, is, am I okay? You know, feel okay for this today? Yeah, feel feel good have my stuff packed um and i've done a lot of research on you know the type of foods you know you should eat when you're when you're biking that'll replenish um sodium you know necessary calories easy to digest things things like that but but anyway um so i check the bike over bikes well check myself over i'm good you know i'm feeling good um and i then Typically, as I as I go out on this was a bike route. I call it bike route O because it's the highway that I spend a lot of this bike on, bike ride on. Um, and I stop at a cemetery that's outside of the the city limits, right at the edge. And uh, you know, it's it's very well maintained. That's um, and and you know, actively used. Um, and I have this, this, this kind of ritual of, you know, by that time I'm a couple miles into the bike ride. So I can kind of like double check the brakes. Everything's okay. And if I have to stop and I have to tighten up the brakes, you know, I've got special tools and things like that, make any adjustments to the bike, like at that point, if I need to, but I go through the cemetery 
which I, I it's not a you know I, I don't this is not a dark talk about a cemetery or anything like that but there's there's this area that's off a little bit than um, the rest of the cemetery and there's a there's a grave over there and it's a boy his name is Aiden and uh, he was I think it's about like ten when he passed away a couple of years ago several palsy and I talked about this in a previous podcast I'm not sure but um, but I I it's he's, he's off all by himself. Um, and there's this huge boot, which is uh, next to his his gravestone, and it's always decorated, um, you know, with, with child, you know, type type things that other people or the family put there. But um, you know, I, I just get a kick out of out of this boot. But um, I I feel I always stop at that point, and and there's this road get, that goes you know past where Avon's gravesite. Aiden's gravesite is, and I check my bike over one more time, make sure you know again the brake pads are are tight, and and just make any adjustments I need to, and then I walk over and um, and just you know realistically, I I, I mean I'm a spiritual person, I kind of uh, not kind of, but you know say a prayer uh, for Aiden, um, and his picture is on on his gravestone. They they you know they do that now, which is which is you know I I think pretty neat. Uh, for for the old safety dock here, you know, I'm going to be cremated and put into a biodegradable, you know, wicker basket and tossed into a lake. But um, but yeah, I mean, for for Aiden, and one of the things that I always will do is always kind of straighten things up by Aiden's Aiden's gravesite. So if um, it's been a little windy or there's been a storm and something has blown over that's been there, I'll, I'll restore it or or just again straighten out. You know, if his flowers are leaning a certain way or, or whatever, um, it's it's uh, I, I just feel that that connection. Uh, Aiden, Aiden was a student with disabilities. Uh, I was a special edu- education director for 12 years. I do feel that connection with him. Um, it's funny because I will say, you know, can you know, just kind of say out loud, hey, Aiden, you know, I'm uh, I'm just about to head out on a trek today. It's going to be about 70 miles after this point. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful day. And uh, glad to stop here, check in on things. Uh, again, love the boot. Uh, hope things um, go well for me today. Um, and just wanted to say I'm thinking of you and uh, say a prayer and, and move on. So, um, but, uh, you know, it's just, just an important way for me me to to stay 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 grounded you know it, it's important it is very important for me to do that so so anyway i do that that's how my, my trip begins you know I'm, I'm ready kind of double check the bike at that point so i'm biking out and and uh this is in early august and all of a sudden um i notice you know once i get out about 10 miles uh 12 miles that there's the road has now been paved over with uh, tar and pea gravel. Now, I remember this practice back when I was like 10, and they did this in my neighborhood. And what happens then is like none of the pea gravel sticks to the tar, and basically the pea gravel goes to the gutter, and then the street sweeper sucks it all up, and you know, you basically have a, a tar road after that. So, like, I'm looking at this thinking, first of all, like, I'm thinking this road wasn't that bad. Like, I live in town. Um, and the road in front of my house um, is is basically a composite of of patches of. I mean, I don't know what it takes to replace this road. Like, there's two two blocks over from us. There was a road that, to me, was like a 
thousand times better than the quality of the road in front of my house. Yet, like, that road got replaced and, and got new blacktop. And I'm thinking, like, why? Like, give us that road over here. Like, I don't even know if you can call this a road anymore. Like, it's made up of, I mean, it's, it's a history of blacktop patches is what it is. I mean, so please. I mean, at some point, city, come on. Um, and we're close to a school, too. So, I mean, people have to, to walk this or bike this or, I mean, it's just. But anyway, um, they take this road and, and they, they throw the tar and the stones down. So I'm like, ah, oh, for biking, that's just not good because, um, you know, that stuff always stays loose no matter what. Like five years later, you're still going to have loose stones. And this just, just had happened because I had biked this like a week before and it wasn't that way. So. I knew enough to um, bike it slowly, so I did. So I biked it slowly. Um, a lot of kind of mounds of, of, of pea gravel, like it hadn't been pushed down very well. Uh, but I biked it slowly, and it was mostly flat. And it did, it does go up like a hill part thing, which kind of is a downer, because like that part I like to, it was always a struggle up the hill, but it's like fun coming back down the hill, which not going to do that anymore with the way that that's set up. but. Um, but yeah, hyper awareness. So I'm very aware of, of this has changed. Um, I know this is going to take more attention because your wheels can, can move on this stuff pretty easily. Now this is morning. Okay. So it's morning. It's not really hot yet. So it's morning. So stuff's still pretty set, pretty tight. So it's that way for a number of miles. And then finally it gets back to like normal blacktop. I'm like, yay, normal blacktop. All right. So um, I'm feeling strong. This is like one of my best days biking. Okay. Like I'm working out, you know, and stuff and, and, and I'm just feeling like top of the world. And I have pictures that I took on my camera of like, you know, the f fields and mountains. And I, I, there's a stretch I come in back of like, there's a group of, of Native American effigy mounds and I had some beautiful photos. And, and, uh, and, and I remember going past the barn that had just been repainted and it had 1904 on it and, and it had been kind of refurbished and things like that. And I'm and, and pausing, taking some pictures of this. I'm like, oh, it's just beautiful, 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 beautiful day. Like temperature, you know, probably like 80 degrees, you know, no real issues with humidity or anything. It's just beautiful, beautiful day. Enjoying the sun, just great. And, uh, and yeah, with the barn, I'm thinking, you know, you know, I kind of place these things in my mind. I'm like, okay, like the barn was here before the Titanic. It was before 19, you know, it was before the World War One, And so I'm like, you know, people could have been in this barn. And, and then, you know, they got the news, you know, the next day of the from the media of the Titanic. And I don't know. I just kind of think of things like that. But but it's just, it was so, it was so beautiful. Like I'm out there just feeling great. You know, like I'm feeling wonderful. Everything's going great. So, um, but what happens then is this complacency safety it's complacency things were too great things were so awesome that day that i really just started to not pay attention to um my the the the, the finite aspects of navigating the environment b before me so um i come back you know i bike out i don't know 30 miles or whatever it is um and or plus and, and i'm biking back and i hit this this patch again of the stones i knew well enough going down this main steep hill like to be really cautious and slow and which i was i was never 
I would say negligent during any of this this process, like on purpose, like I wasn't speeding through anything or whatever. Um, but I was complacent. Like I made it through the first time and I thought, yeah, I'll make it through these stones the second time without any problem. Here's the deal though. What happened, which was different, is it heated up, okay? So the first time we went through, it was morning. It was cool. So you can imagine the tar is sticking to the stones. In the afternoon, the sun's been beating on the stones, beating on the tar, heating things up. Things are loose. I'm going through this flat area, okay? This is out in the country. So at this point, I'm 12 to 15 miles away from home. And really, like, it's it's pretty desolate at that point. <laughs> I mean, there's there's not a lot of cars that pass you or, or homes or anything like that. And I do have, let me let me try to bring it out here if I, if I can. Um, yeah, I have this device. This is one of the things I need to clean and work on here. I have this device, it's called, um, it's by Jackery, J-A-C-K-E-R-Y. Uh, what it is, okay, so it's right here. Basically what it is, is it's, it's a battery for your cell phone, external battery. So I always take my cell phone with me and I pack it centrally on my bike. So no matter what happens to my bike, like the cell phone will likely survive any type of accident, um, the way it's, the way it's packed. But then this thing provides you with an external charge. So you can basically charge your phone one more time. So when I'm out during a day, especially if I have the GPS on my phone, um, that's Jackery if you want to contact the old safety doc here and say, hey, thanks for mentioning our product. It is, it is really a good product. I just want to recommend if you are going out biking or anything like that, hiking, whatever it could be. But uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so so I'm, I use a GPS, you know, on, on the phone now. I know, I know the truck, though. You know, I've kind of got it down. But... Um, but I have the phone available, of course, in case I need to get a hold of, of somebody. So um, I'm biking, and all of a sudden, the front wheel slips on this, you know, the, this pea gravel over tar. And I'm biking in normal speed. So, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 miles an hour. That's it. And this is a straight path. But there were pine trees, so there's different patterns of shadows that are on the road too. So, which makes me think that there's some areas which are more loose than others, you know, which are cool versus warm. And and uh, the the tire slips and uh, the bike flips. So, all I remember, all I remember from that is starting to head down, and uh, and and that was kind of it, putting like a forearm out. I woke up. Like, boom, snap back to consciousness, uh, and I'm lying there, and the bike is there, <laughs> and uh, my, um, my, I have a necklace, uh, which I will, which I will show. For those of you who are watching here on the safety dock, this is a very, very heavy-duty um, crucifix, and it's attached to a, a very heavy-duty chain, and actually, I went with a, a stainless steel chain, um, and the, um, the, the chain, thankfully, did give way. It, it, it got ripped off my neck. It, as I went down, someone got caught my in the in the handlebars as I went down. You know, it's one of those things now looking back when they're like, do you want the chain that will, will break, you know, in, in the event of whatever? Do you want it like where it's absolutely completely non-destructible? It's like, cool. Yeah. 
it's a good thing I went with the chain that, that did give way. So anyway, like, wow. So I come to bike is out there mangled and I can see the cross in the road. There was actually a car that passed, um, and didn't stop, like kind of like slowed down to look at me. Like I'm, my eyes are like saucers, like I'm on the sideline, you know, there. I, I kind of pull myself over to the grass. I don't even drag the bike over. First thing, bike's out there in the road. And uh, I'm checking. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like this is, this is bad. Like I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember wiping out like this for like years. It's just like maybe I, 10, 11 years old, I remember yeah, you know, Ghost, Ghostbusters bike and some other things. But I mean, this, this serious stuff, you know, and especially you get older. Um, but I had my helmet on and uh, I was checking my helmet out. So I knew my, I looked at the helmet, didn't have marks on. I knew my head didn't hit the ground, but didn't mean that I didn't, you know, have that sudden stop, that sudden jolt. Um, so I'm checking myself over. My arm, you know, my body's ripped up pretty bad. Like my left arm is just embedded with stones and just like bleeding profusely and my arm is completely numb like i feel nothing in my arm something i broke my arm and then my leg is just you know huge cuts and and deep cuts and, and bleeding and into my socks and shoes and it's just a mess um so i'm thinking oh, i probably broke my arm like this is bad so um I, I, I took a few few minutes, I'm on, I'm on the side, and what I did is something called, um, it's called the mini mental. It's something I learned back in my healthcare days, working in hospital setting. And it's where you ask patients at that point, like, what is today's date? Um, what is today's weather? You know, uh, what month is it? Things like that. And I'm going through that with myself, uh, conducting my own mini mental, and I'm doing well. Like, I know, I'm oriented, like I am alert. Um, I'm completely, you know, oriented to what's, what's happening. Um, I know where I am. I know what I've gone through. Uh, it was extreme pain. Yeah. I mean, I will not, the pain, but it did subside at, at, at some point, but picking stones like out of the, the, you know, half inch groove that's left in my, my arm that's bleeding and things like that and trying to get that the best I can. I do have some safety gear on board. I'm taping it up, but I didn't have nearly as enough. That, that's one thing I would say is I, from now on, I'm, I do have um, uh, special kind of burn sleeves that I had to wear after that that I have, I would always pack with me to, uh, to cover things like that up. But, um, but I did take the bike and I dragged everything kind of back over to me and got the cross and, and the piece of the bike and did the assessment of the bike. And, you know, the bike was, uh, was functional, had part of a pedal sheared off and some other pretty substantial damage. Um, the bike is actually in a room across in the next room over. I've, I've got to have it checked. I, I didn't write it since. I have to have it checked out in spring to see if it's even salvageable or if I've got to replace it. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm doing this, this mini mental process. Um, and I'm, I'm scoring well on that. You know, if not, I would have called 911 from you know, the phone. And again, I did have the jackal device to, to do the charge. Um, and I think I would have been able to make it flag somebody down to, uh, you know, at, at, at that point. Um, but I want to get back to the complacency part though, when it comes to safety is like, I look at where this accident occurred. And if you had to look at any place along my, my planned trek for that day of, which was probably 70, 75 miles, like 
it wouldn't have been that. I mean, that was, it was straight away and I wasn't racing and it wasn't anything like that. And it just became complacency. I wasn't aware of my context in the situation, the context of, okay, you went over, the, you know, Dave, that this, these stones are not set. You know this, you know, this takes, you know, a year for this stuff. Now, it has to go through winter, snow plows, a lot of cars driving over it. And even at that point, it's still pretty iffy, but um, and the other one was a situation. It was warmer, and as it warms, tar is going to warm. That you had this weird pattern with the the trees causing some areas to be be warmer on the road because they had sh they they didn't have shade in other areas to be cooler because they did have shade. So um, I I decide I'm going to try to make it back home at that point. And actually, my my wife and and daughters uh, were out of town at that point, so it didn't. To try to contact them and i mean i made i made the assessment i'm like I, I can do this so and the bike was able to like manage a gear like the the chain didn't slip off and that's one thing i give credit i'll just say it was a truck bike like the bike really held up um substantial damage to the bike but still you know like salvageable as far as like it got me to where i needed to go so I'm riding, I got this chicken wing arm out because the arm is just bleeding. Like my hand's covered with blood. It's like all over the bike. <laughs> my leg is tripping blood. And my well, is just bad, bad. But um, I did have a lot of, you know, fluids with, with me. And I'm making sure I'm drinking, you know, replenishing fluids. And, and I did have, you know, stuff that I bandage up. So, I mean, I was getting some control on that. But I felt, yeah, you know, I could get home and I could, I could assess and manage things from there. So... Um, I did manage to get home. It took me a few hours. You know, like I said, one of the pedals was basically sheared off and the bike was just kind of weird to, to drive. I'm driving basically with one hand too. Um, and people did pass and kind of gave me the look like, Hey, are you all right? You're right, buddy. You need us to stop here. Help you. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Even though like, you know, the fluorescent, uh, yellow shirt is like half stained in blood. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I get home and I, I put the bike in the garage and I, I go in and, in the bathroom and I'm taking care of myself. I got a couple pictures. I'm going to throw them up here. I mean, not the most graphic ones, but just going to give you an image of what of what's going on after watching this on YouTube. Um, I did check with my mother-in-law, who's a nurse, you know, who was encouraging going to the hospital. I had, I had the hospital check me out. They did a, a blood test and, and the blood test came really back really weird. So the hospital is very insistent on like, you must stay here. But, um, I, I did believe at that point I did have, um, uh, awareness, uh, you know, a, a heightened awareness of my, myself and my surroundings. And I'd be okay. Um, I probably did have, um, some, uh, concussion and, uh, or, or, but anyway, um, but yeah, the hospital called me like three times once I was home, like, come back, come back. So I'm like, nope. Um, and not that that was a wise, a wise decision. What I learned too from this standpoint is I should have had a third party, um, assess me. I mean, the hospital assessed me, but also like someone that knew me. Hospital doesn't know me. Like, you know, the safety doc already kind of crazy guy, right? So, but I didn't have anybody assess me who really knew me. Um, and the fact was, um, I was probably much more impacted by this than, than what I realized. And that's another thing with safety is the damage that we can do to our, have done to ourselves that we really don't fully realize. 
until somebody else points it out to us. And that's going to be important next week when we talk about psychological safety and the damage that can be done that we don't really realize until somebody says, this really isn't you. Like, this is way off of what's typical or even typical for anybody. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm bandaged up and all of that, that stuff. Um, and I'm watching that night. Get this. So I stay up because I know with a concussion, like, you want to stay up. So I'm watching, like, the Dark Knight series. Like, you talk about interesting. Watching Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight when you have a concussion. Wow, that's like living in Gotham. Um, that was that was just crazy. And in extreme pain, by the way. <laughs> extreme pain. And I went out, like, running two nights later just because that's, I just am so passionate about that. And I healed really well, and I'm still all scarred up on things like that. But anyway, um, the next day, the, ne- the next day I went out, I was going to check my bike. And, and the first thing, I got out to the garage, and it looked like, like, like someone had gutted a, a buffalo in my garage. Floors covered with blood. Side of my car is covered in blood. Because remember, I made this, checked out the hospital. Um, I have leather, leather seats, which are black, so thankfully, easy to clean. Nothing really there. But side of the car covered in blood. Like, just bad. Bikes covered in blood. And I never realized that at the time. Never. Never struck me once. I didn't, I didn't even, I had no idea. No idea. And it points again to the, uh, the fact that if something substantial happens to you, you need that third party person, especially someone with you, you know, that knows you to, to give that reflection saying, dude, dude, you're not, you're not right. Like this is, yeah, you know, this, this is much more serious than, than what you, what you think it is. And I think at that point, I talked to my physician later, you have endorphins going on. And my, my medical test, I had a couple follow-ups and they finally normalized up. But she was saying, you know, once your body goes into this, this part where you're falling, like through an accident, you have this massive tensing of your body and all these chemicals kind of come out and it throws off your, your, like what your blood test would be, um, tremendously and how your, your body, your body functions. Um, and, and that's, and that's what happened. And then of course, you know, with the flipping of the bike, even though my head didn't hit the, the ground, you know, you have that, that stopping because of, of what's happening. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember, um, uh, all that, that happened. Um, so, um, a few things out of this though, is like, you know, tell people your route, know yourself, know your baseline, and I think doing the mini mental for me was a good thing. Now, I'm not av- I'm not telling you like that's you're going to be able to self-diagnose and things like that. But I I mean I was I was safe going back. Not that you fell down like ten times or something like that. But um, be prepared. Bring things with you. And uh, you know I I definitely will bring more things to to bandage up and and, and things like that and to stop bleeding if that's the the case. And also just be very aware of complacency. And I think that's so important in everyday life for safety. I had biked this a number of times, um, you know, probably thousands of miles on this exact same route. And because I had made it through the first time in my previous knowledge with pea gravel over tar, you know, I, I, I 
once I made it through, I never really gave it a second thought. And I wasn't aware of my situation in my context. Again, we're talking about those trees and the shade and, and warming up and that, that wasn't settled. And, and even going at a, at a lower speed, you know, had, had put me at risk. Um, and again, knowing your own, um, your, your, your baseline, you may think you know your baseline. And I thought that I, I, I did, you know, as far as like, you know, I talk about the blood on the side of the car, which would have been obvious to anyone, any, any of us, you know, like going out to the car and be like, what in the world happened out here? Um, and, uh, but having that third person and, you know, having access to, um, EMS, I didn't feel I needed EMS at that time, but I also was very kind of maybe bullheaded to some extent or just believing I didn't need EMS because I, um, you know, again, I, I think I actually wrote part of a chapter of a book like that night too, which will be interesting when I go back and read it. But, um, you know, I was engaged in scholarly activities and I think you can, you can do a lot of things that you just typically do. Um, but you don't realize the impact that, that something has had on you. Allow the professionals to check you out, take their advice and, and someone that's close to you. Um, someone that knows you. Um, ask others, listen to their assessment and uh, their self-perception. Tell them to be honest. Say, hey, am I, am I not, like, right? Is there something not, like, I went through this. This is what I encountered today. Like, is there something you're observing? And they could say, like, yeah, Dave, this isn't, isn't quite right today. You know, this this with you and, or they could say, like, yeah, you know. Um, and uh, I... I don't know. I mean, with my, with my medical professional, I did, I did explain, you know, the situation to them and, um, the fact that they, they did want me to, to come back in as something I probably should have heeded that I, that I didn't. Um, so, um, but yeah, your self perceptions in an event like that. Now think about this as school safety. We're wrapping up here. We don't have a few minutes, a few minutes left here, but school safety, something traumatic happens. And even if you're involved in that, um, you're not going to necessarily know the extent that you've been impacted in that. And it could be something, you know, that, that let's say it's a physical event, you know, some structural failure of the building or something like that, or, you know, an FV vehicular accident or something like that. Um, you know, there, there's numerous cases. What was it like? I think when Reagan was shot, um, you know, he didn't realize at first that he had been shot, you know. Uh, so I think it's it's one of these things of knowing yourself, knowing your baseline. I start like, you know, when I ride, I you know, I take that break where I check with Aiden. I kind of stretch out. I'm feeling good. Um, you know, and I, I recheck my bike at the same bike is, bike is secure. But my, but my environment had changed and I wasn't aware of it. I, I shouldn't say that. I was aware of it. I was complacent of it. I made it through the first time. I was going to make it through the second time. I wasn't doing anything daring, but I, I just wasn't aware of situation and context. And always, 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 always be aware of situation and context, um, no matter what. We don't have a privilege in society of not doing Anyway, we are here at the end of the Safety Doc Show. So thank you very much for listening. 1 p.m. on the 405 Media. Uh, I will be talking next week about crisis incident debriefing in my role as a county debriefer. We do have an interview coming up two weeks from now with David Hyde, who is a man who is blind, who is going to talk about safety 
and we will be working on some excellent interviews down the road for you. So thank you for listening to The Safety Doc on the 405media.com, 1 p.m. Pacific.